Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. All right, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are honored to be joined by Gene Freeman. As principal CEO of Zambezi, Gene is leading a highly awarded independent advertising agency that is proudly women-owned. Gene has successfully grown Zambezi from a startup to what it is today, a thriving agency named Small Agency of the Year by AdAge and a six-time Inc. 5000 honoree. Zambezi clients include TaylorMade, UKG, Google, and Under Armour. Gene has been named National Association of Women Business Owners Business Owner of the Year. And additionally, Gene has also been included in Adweek's Women's Trailblazers, campaigned U.S.'s 40 Over 40, as well as Working Mother of the Year by She Runs It. And today we are so excited to be joined by Gene. So thank you for being here today. Thanks, Drew. Glad to be here. Okay. So from what I've gathered doing a little bit of my own research, you had a somewhat non-traditional entry into this space. Uh, from what I read, you started off right out of college, joining the Peace Corps, and then things kind of took a turn. Is that where you would say the story starts here? It does. Yes. And I always say like the best people in the advertising business didn't mean to get into it. They just kind of fell into it. So upon my graduation from college, I was slated to go into the Peace Corps um, and was, you know, slated. I graduated in June. Mission assignment starts in September. And my assignment got pushed back due to civil unrest of where I was going. And Mm -hmm. so it was pushed back to the following spring. And at the time, you know, you're a restless 22 year old. Like you want to start the movement forward of your life. I was bartending. And, um, I, and when I was, uh, in college, I had always interned at professional sports teams in the marketing department. And we always dealt with external agencies and I loved it. Agency people are the best. They figure out how to get stuff done. So as I was going through this process, deciding if I was going to wait to go on my assignment, uh, for the Peace Corps, I started I started interviewing um, at advertising agencies. And I was lucky enough to start my career at Fallon in Minneapolis at the time when it was the top creative agency in the entire industry. It really put Minneapolis on the map uh, in terms of a creative uh, place for talent and for agencies. And so that's where my career in advertising began. And I was wow. there for three years, not very long, but it was really impactful in um, I think the formation of kind of what I continue to do with Zambezi, it's where I met my husband and my business partner, Chris Rye. We were both account executives on United Airlines. And it was just, it was very formative uh, for me. So I'm very thankful that I had that experience of that being at a creatively driven agency, independent. Um, it, it really, it, 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 there's a lot of things that continue on in my running of Zambezi today because of my experience at Fallon. What do you think it was that kind of hooked you when you got your feet wet in the creative ad agency world that you thought, Hey, I think my, my passion or my talents would really work well in this. I've always, creative people are so unique, right? And that's how I've always said, like, I am, you know, again, we're all on a spectrum. My, and if you compare me to the creators of my company, they'll be like, Gene, you are not creative at all. My brain thinks in spreadsheets. So I always really viewed like me being a great team member for those creative people, because I could really help translate to ensure what they wanted, which was great work. And then also working with the client who really wanted to also have great work, but couldn't necessarily understand how to give direction, how to motivate, 
Um, so I've always kind of viewed myself. I was an account person. I, I, I you know, that was more of my function um, in the agency world. But that's why it's just agency people. Again, I said it already. They're they are can do people, mm. uh, and I think that is why you know if you and our business at ZMBZ has really grown through relationships. We've got long standing client relationships, and you become really part of their business toolkit on how to solve marketing problems. And I think that's the great thing about at the end of the day, it's creative, but it's also about relationships. Yeah. Well, where did Zambezi come in the picture? So Zambezi came into the picture. Um, so founded in 2006 and was in Portland, Oregon at the time. I was working at Nike and Chris was working at Wyden, working on Nike basketball when they had just signed a new player called, named LeBron James. <laughs> so yeah, pretty iconic of the fact of like 17-year-old LeBron James coming into the Nike orbit and Nike being, you know, getting the marketing machine around him ready. So with Chris working on Nike basketball, he really formed really close relationships with all the Nike athletes, one of them being Kobe Bryant. And Kobe gave the start to Zambezi in 2006. At the time, he wanted to start an agency. He wanted to be in L.A. And he approached Chris to do that. Um Chris came home that night, and it's funny, we always talk about this, that he goes, you know, we're 26 at the time, so we're very young. (laughs) And he goes, you're not going to believe this, Kobe called me today, and he's thinking about starting an agency, and he wants me to run it in LA. He goes, this is crazy. Like, we don't know how to do that. My initial reaction was, we definitely need to do that. We'll figure out a way on how to make this happen. So we just were recently married. We sold our house. We moved to LA, uh, really with nothing to lose. I mean, I think that at times when you look back at a a founding story of how companies are founded, sometimes youth really is a true advantage because you just don't know. You Mm. have hustle, you have drive, you have optimism. As we continue to age, it's like, and I, my joke is now I'm like, I'm because I'm like, I'm a hundred on the inside through everything that I've kind of gone through in terms (laughs) of running a business, but you, it is there's a, there's a, there's a beauty to that of seeing the potential and the opportunity. Um, and we got it off the ground in 2006, then wow. right on the heels and right before 08, 09. Wow. So what I'm curious about, I have a, I have a separate podcast that I do with some friends. And one of the recent conversations we were having was around imposter syndrome, that this very much internal block to stepping fully into an opportunity is often this, insecurity or man, the moment feels bigger than my value of myself or whatever. I can't imagine being 26 years old, getting the opportunity to do something like this with this huge superstar was either triggering for one or both of you in that way of some imposter syndrome stuff, or was it, we were too young and naive to even have that. And we just walked into it. Truthfully, I think we were too young and naive. I mean, we knew that there was going to be challenges and we knew what we know, what we didn't know. But I think that the, the one thing that you have as a benefit when you're starting an agency is the upfront costs really aren't that significant. You need some mm. computers and you need a, you know, a cell phone. And obviously you need to pay yourself to a degree, but that's always up for debate on when you're looking at your capital to start up with. So I think that's a nicer thing about starting an agency as opposed to a company that requires heavy R&D, investment in capital, inventory. Um, agencies are a little bit more seamless to kind of get off the ground running. Uh, but we just learned as we were going and started off 
uh, first working on Kobe's website, which at the time players didn't even have websites. This is again right on the heels before social media. Yeah. Um, which now it just kind of seems we're I'm completely even dating myself when you're talking about making a website, but that really was new for athletes too, taking that control of their image and likeness and making it to the benefit for their marketing. And so then from there, um, you know, we started getting some more like regional types of clients, um, building the business. We had a few employees between 06 and 08. Like we Mm. were just starting to make some headway when the recession hit. Mm. Um, and that hit us really hard. And I think to that point of one of those classic entrepreneurial stories of the staff was down to, the, I, mean, I think at the time we had like five employees and then it had to go down to the two founders, um, you know, payroll for one month with one big pitch coming up. I mean, it's looking back on that. When you talk about the imposter syndrome, those were the moments where um, we really learned very quickly how to pivot, how to move cash conservation, Oh, and then we also decided to have a baby during that time. So we have a newborn, <laughs> we have a newborn at home. Um, but that pitch went our way and that pitch was for vitamin water. So it is one of these Whoa. really amazing stories. We pitched against Crispin Porter, which at the time was, you know, hundreds of people. Um, and with our sports cred and our knowledge in the sports space, that's what set us apart. And I, so the, the thing also that coming out of that, which really helped us was when we founded in 2006, even, even with the Kobe pedigree, even coming from Nike, we're all college, former college athletes. We didn't really go in with the focus that we know sports. It took the recession and almost going out of business to realize we got to be focused here and get mm. people who really want to use us and our expertise. Let's get that. Um, and that really helped not only stabilize the business, but help it scale it to a mid-sized company. Wow. You know, it's so interesting because just before we started recording, I was telling you a little bit about, you know, when we hit the COVID crisis, some ways that we pivoted and we found the same wisdom that felt counterintuitive at the time, which is your instinct is to go wide that like we're in crisis. We'll take any client, let's diversify, let's broaden. But people like you that I talked to at that time really helped me. And they're like opposite you got to go like super focused. What are you doubling yeah. down on? And it sounds like you all did the same thing. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think we're in one of those moments again right now. Mm. I mean, I, I'll look at the last few years for us in our business, specifically for marketing and for agencies specific. I don't think this translates ac- across all industries. But what we found in marketing services coming out of COVID 2021, 20, even in 22, was if you were a CMO at that time, you like your marketing playbook was thrown out the window. <laughs> So you were figuring out things on the fly and there was a much larger appetite to try and test new ways of operating, working, you know, New York based companies who had only worked with New York based agencies were more willing to work with different types of agencies, small, you know, hybrid type format. There was just more. So the volume that we saw in 2021 was through the roof. And I think because you were seeing this just change, such a rapid change in the marketplace that companies were willing. Mm. We are now entering into a slowing down period as well. And so I'm I'm taking my own advice. Let's focus. We need to focus, go back, back to basics. 23 back half was, you know, it's been challenging. You can start to kind of see it. Everyone's pulling back and kind of bracing for what to be in 24. So that's also been my advice too, is the macroeconomic conditions 
yes, they put a veil over your overall business strategy and you need to continue to pay attention to that as well. You know, it's like, again, it's also dynamic. Um, but as long as you can move your business in that way, you will be well suited against your competitors. Well, it's so interesting, depending on who your, your focus is or who your clientele is different time periods or different, you know, kind of economic shifts affect people differently. Like one of our clients is a huge marketing agency here in Atlanta, and they just so happen to have a lot of eggs in the tech basket. Like a lot of their clients were, were tech companies, software companies, that type of thing. And so they got really hit hard at the beginning of this mm-hmm. year with the Silicon Valley bank collapse. Whereas there were plenty of people out there doing different, you know, services that didn't feel a thing yet. They were like really pressed to focus and pivot and that type of thing. Have you guys experienced that as well? Where it's something unique, not just what's happening in the world, but maybe something unique to your kind of client base really forced you to, to have to make some pivots. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say more in just our overall services and diversifying our services as we've grown as a company. So we have over a hundred employees headquarters in LA, another office in Minneapolis. And in our early days, we were a creative only agency. So that is what we did was just creative. Um, and when I took over control of the business in 2015, so I've owned it for the past eight years, my really initial focus was to expand our services so we could diversify our offerings and work with lots of different types of clients from more smaller emerging to fortune 500 clients. Um, And that is through uh, increasing our production studio capabilities from editorial live action production, coloring, mixing, as well as we have now uh, media services. So we buy and we buy a plan and buy media on behalf of brands. Mm. So that has enabled us to work with a variety of clients uh, on more of an integrated capacity. We can work with them with with multiple offerings as opposed to just one. Um, So that I feel it has been really interesting for us to kind of figure out like, what's that right mix? What's that right mix of integrated clients? What's that right mix of just creative only? We have clients that just come through the studio. Um, but that diversification is key. Yes. Mm. I mean, if you travel and tourism, obviously took such a hit at the beginning of 2000, we had one tourism client at the time. Um, but a lot of their, you know, other, other, our, our sister agencies, you know, had a focus in tourism. So, you know, no one predicted COVID. I don't yeah. know, like that. I've never seen that in my business career. Um, so that one's a hard one to kind of hedge against when, you know, you kind of act like, what could you have done differently? I just think a lot of times it's just timing mm-hmm. um, and you just don't want to. So that's in my, you know, diversification is always on the top of my mind. So we're not too reliant in one area, but and what responsive across the entire company. That's it's such an interesting, probably like most of life where there's this truth held in tension that's kind of hard to figure out where you have on one side, we're talking about narrowing in you know, being specific, you know, you hear all the time, riches are in the niches, you know, don't, don't be a generalist, be a specialist. And then on the other side, you realize, well, if your riches are in the niches and that niche gets hit, you are really in trouble. And so there needs to be some diversification. How do you find, is there a way to kind of feel that balance between those two kind of pulling philosophies, if you will? To me, I think it just really comes down to your company size and then also what you want to do with the business. Because I think, you know, and I have this 
philosophy. And everyone's like, you should write a book about that. I'm like, I will when I have the time. But this idea of, you know, my journey at Zambezi being from when it's a startup to now a grown-up company. And from what you need as a startup in order to get things going off the ground. And then how you have to operate when you are more of a grown-up. And it is that transition from a generalist where it's startup, it's like total chaos, whatever. We're throwing things at the wall. It t- you know, when you get to, you know, about 25 people, processes need to start. There's yeah. more overhead costs. There's just more forecasting that's needed. You're a larger organization, you know, managing cash, which you, which you do when you're a startup, but you do it in a much different way. It's almost from a scarcity mindset as opposed to looking at more of like, how can I continue to invest? How can we grow? What are the areas that can continue to grow and build the business? So I've always just kind of viewed it as you're, it's, it's really then more what you want to do. And a lot of, a lot of founders and entrepreneurs I talk to, you know, the goal is growth. And then as we kind of get into it, it's really like, do you really want to grow? Like, do you understand the realities of what it is to have a hundred person organization versus a 25 person organization, the processes that are needed, the layers that are ultimately kind of necessary, not saying that you progress, you know, process can be in progress of the business as well. But a lot of times too, I just think founders don't really know what they think they know what they want but they don't really do once you kind of get into the nuts and bolts of what it requires. Uh, I love that. I love, I love the idea of getting better clarity on what do you actually want, making sure that what you're aiming for and trying to do is actually in alignment with what you want at the end of the day. Cause if you get what you're asking for, do you want what you're asking for? And then the second is being more in tune with what season are we in, in the business, right? Like if I'm just reading about your company or I'm reading about Bezos company and I'm trying to do what they did, as a 10 person company, that's the wrong season. I'm trying to implement what a giant organization is doing with their resources and complexity versus what should I be doing right now? Right? Like the way we've talked about it is organic versus organized that early it's organic and it should be, it needs to be flexible. It needs to be nimble. But then you, like you said, around 25, 50 people, it starts to almost impress upon you the need for organization. Like, all right, do we even have a hiring policy? (laughs) Do we have, right managers of people like what are we doing here yeah no i mean it's you know i was just talking with a good friend who runs an agency and she wants to grow um and that's that's great but uh, you know in her mindset it's under her sheer will will it grow and it's no you gotta have the team it becomes less Mm. about you and more of the team and I think that's the other hard thing too, when you have, when you're going through the ebb and flow of a growing business, you need different people at different times. Um, and a lot of times founders are their own true like block yes. <laughs> of being able to move the business forward um, and what is required for that. So, you know, one thing that I should have done earlier in my business was had an executive coach. Uh, we've had a coach for the last five years. It really has been helpful as we've gone into these other types of offerings from production and media and having all the different areas of the company really understand why they can work together, why they're needed. Um, and so there's not this inherent competition of like, if one division is performing better than the other, understanding that, you know, 
it's it's great for everybody for for us to continue for everyone to do well um but coaching really allows a lot of those blocks and um and when you are a small business and you're looking at everything on the expense line you it's a it's a you know it's 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 more of a luxury. And I think that's how I kind of viewed it. It's, this is a luxury, um, as opposed to those is an investment in future profits of my business. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that already. You mentioned that already. And thank you for speaking to my industry that way, Mm -hmm. but like in general, not just coaching, but a lot of things you can't help, but, or you fall into thinking about things as expenses versus investments. And now some things, if you were to look at as an investment, you might look at it and say, it's not an investment. And therefore we don't need to do that. Like I can't see the ROI on this. Right. But other things that might free someone up to say, no, this is something that I'm taking a short-term risk on or allocating certain risks, you know, resources because I'm trying to do something here and I've got to pump some, some energy time investment. It doesn't have to just be money, but I need to take some resources and allocate it there early on. Right. You can't really get around some of those risks in the early days. No, and I just think again, like hindsight's twenty twenty, of like going through the things that you learn with growing and scaling a business, and then things that you learn when you have more of established business, and you almost kind of yearn for what you don't have at all right. times. So of like, oh, we're big. Remember, we used to be nimble and we do everything. It's like, oh, actually, it was pretty miserable when we were little because we couldn't afford to do anything because we're, we weren't big. So I just think again, you have to have that constant perspective, and just 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 with the idea of adaptability, knowing things are going to change. So our name comes from the Zambezi shark, which is indigenous to Africa. And it got its name because it's one of the only, you know, it's a, we call it a bull shark in the States, but it can survive in both salt and fresh water. Mm. So it got its name by being, you know, in the Indian ocean and going up the Zambezi river. So it's highly adaptable. It's highly resourceful. And I think it's a great ethos and embodiment of what entrepreneur, uh, like an entrepreneur mentality is within a company you know we have employees that come in here and learn about what it's like to have that entrepreneurial mindset um with the idea of okay sure let you have a better way let's try that let's see how we can do that Um, and i think though that constant ability to push and go forward um regardless of what type of organization you're in i think that is a skill that will always continue to take to great places. That makes me curious about something. You know, one trend I've seen is that people with, you know, let's say a a long career in, especially the higher up they were in the involvement of it, a long career, let's say in like special forces, military are recognizing, Hey, I can translate a lot of that experience into an entrepreneurial journey. There's plenty of things I'm not prepared for because I haven't been in the business world, but there's mindsets, there's approaches, there's grit, there's things that they're realizing translate really well and have made some very successful second half careers going from military to entrepreneurial. And I've seen the same thing with some people with sports backgrounds. You obviously won, your husband won. I came from a sports background and I'm just curious, have you, have you intentionally pulled on any of that? Like, Hey, what was some of the stuff I learned in sports that helped me succeed that I want to maybe ingrain in the mindset of our culture or our approach or our philosophy to success? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I just think team sports from a youth level to expose kids to being part of the team, what it's like to be part of the team, enjoying the game, taking direction from your coach. 
supporting your teammates, understanding where your role is, how you work together. Those are the skills that we practice every day in the workplace. Yeah. Um, so I'm a big fan of team sports. And I did a combination of individual and team. And I think individual are good for different reasons. But team really brings that foundation. And I think specifically for girls, like mm. girls drop, we know girls drop out at team, like at team sports at high rates in high school. Um, we're starting to see that kind of change a little bit with just, you know, you know, volleyball and lacrosse are continuing to be new sports as opposed to, you know, you know, basketball and other things like that. But I have always viewed myself as a coach. I'm like, mm. my job is like, I am the coach of the team. I have experts that are very good at what they do. I let them do their thing and I help guide them in the appropriate way. And this is another kind of analogy that I use at times when I'm talking with founder owners of like, no, you're playing, you're acting like the captain yes. right now. And I need you to be the coach. Yes. Cause it's like, you're actually on the court. And if you're like on the court, you can't, you don't have the peripheral vision of seeing the entire game. Yes. And so a lot of times that is where founders just cause they're, you know, and again, we've all seen those types of captains I mean, good captains don't do this, but you know what I mean? It's like they dominate the game. They don't pass the ball. They are very loud in the locker room. They don't practice inclu inclusivity. It's really yeah. about them. And so I think a lot of times that's where I really kind of guide. And it's like the goal is to, you want to get off the court. You want to be the coach and you want to see that. And that can go through all levels in your career. Mm. You know, it's not just you're only the coach when you're like, you know, at the top of the CEO, if you have that mentality, then wow, like you, you, there's a lot of things that you can learn along the way. But I think sports has always given me that prism of we do this as a team. And yes. if you think it's all you, then you definitely have to reframe that uh, from that view. I love, I was literally having that exact conversation with the founder last week where he was seeing the objective, like he saw the objectively, I am the choke point right now because I just keep having the knee jerk to get in there and do it myself and I'm having a hard time delegating. And one of the things we realized was his actual fear was if I'm not doing it, what's the value I bring, right? So he still in his mind was like that star player, which is I know mm -hmm. the value is I can go deliver the result. I can go get the direct win for the company. And I, it's, we talked about how difficult it is for a player to actually translate to a coach. We've seen it's not as many yeah. as you would think. Like Steve Kerr and yeah. some of those players are actually kind of rare that have made right. that transition. And one of the things I encouraged him, and I'd be curious to know if you think the same way, is to just reimagine your value. That you used to get value or feel successful when you delivered the result. And I said, I want you to entertain. Could you feel as valuable if you – if you um, saw the team's collective result as your job, that you're okay. elevating a little bit. And the win is that I, did I see other people succeed instead of me or because of me in a different way? Does that make sense? Oh yeah. I mean, it's like you're speaking. Yeah. I can, I can from past experience. I mean, so one of my other things, because a lot of times people ask me like, well, wow, Gene, like how did you get to where you're doing? It's like, well, I work super hard. <laughs> I will grind and grind and grind. And I think that's the idea of like building a business, you know, whether anything in my life, I have always been, well, I will, I'll work really, really hard. 
And I know that that's something I can control. Um, and it's been interesting for me in my evolution as a leader of, I really equated my, my output as being, that's what I'm giving. See, yeah. look, look how just so much more productive I am. Look at all of these things that I'm doing, all, just all the matrices and the workflows and all the things I'm doing, all of it. And using the more is better type of approach. Um, and truthfully, you know, a light bulb kind of clicked on with me of like, if you're the leader of the company, you, you can't, if you're like frenzied, like frenetic, like, oh my God, so busy. That is not a good sign for the organization. You need to make sure that you have the right people doing the right things. You are giving the space, you are managing the people so you can see what the next challenge that's come, that's literally going to be coming right around the corner. And you're starting to kind of prepare for that. So, um, yeah, I've really had to shift my mentality of that. And some, some days I do get a little fidgety if I'm, well, what did I do today? Or (laughs) what did I, you know? And so again, I think it's that reframing of getting comfortable doing the things that make you uncomfortable and moving, you know, that's how you'll continue to progress because then who's going to, if you, and again, if the goal is scale, if the goal is scale, then you're going to have to get used to letting go of things that you did and bringing them on to others and training them. That, that is the job. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a kind of a, an African proverb that we really love that says, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. And I, I, that's what I think of. I'm like, yeah, if the goal is just speed, like how quickly can I go from here to here in the short term? It probably is faster for you to do it yourself. You know, like, your, your work ethic, your talent, you're probably going to get in there, create that spreadsheet or deliver that next client faster than anybody else. But if your goal is to go far, you actually have to slow down to speed up. You've got to figure out how do I incorporate other people? How do I even train them? How do I take the time to pass this off well so that it's fully off my plate, not kind of off my plate, but like they're really doing it well. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Have you seen that as well? Like, yeah, if the goal is speed, do it yourself. But if the goal is distance, you're going to have to incorporate other people. For sure. Yeah. And I think the agency business is re- it requires people, yeah. you know, and I think then the the question becomes like how many people need to be involved, um, you know, and like I just had a meeting with some of my staff because I witnessed another meeting where there was like so many people included in this meeting and my mind just went a little bit like bonkers of like, why are all these people in this meeting? Like, what are we doing? So yeah it goes both ways from, and again, I think it's depending on the phase and what you're doing. If it's a priority piece of business that, you know, just requires this, you know, time and attention in a, in a certain point, um, it's, it's scalable. But I think that is the interesting thing about the agency service business. It's so people intensive. So the type of scale that can happen is not what you're seeing on more of the digital transformation side or yeah. some sort of piece of ag tech where, it does really can be less people you're putting in something that can like take the human process away. Um, but for us to continue to grow, we just ultimately will need to add types of people formations. Not, yeah. not everything's like a full-time employee, but we need people to do what we do. I'm curious, you know, when I talk to people at your stage and in your position, they recognize, Hey, there's a lot of like 30,000 foot view proactive, thinking, decision-making, getting ahead of things that I know are needed, but they often feel this 
really understandable tension of, but there's so many urgent things happening right now that I often feel like my day goes by and I've been putting out fires is what I hear all the time. I've been putting out fires all day that I didn't even have time. So they feel like they're always reacting and having a hard time ever getting to the space to be proactive. What have you done or, or what have you found any practices or any prioritization or anything that has helped you navigate that? Like everything's urgent, everything's urgent. I'm just reacting to, I've got time I've set aside where I just get ahead of things. Yeah. I mean, we have, I would say two standing meetings on Monday mornings, um, one with the executive team and then one with the leadership team, which is all the day-to-day managers that report in the executive team. And then we have people that are, are in both meetings from the executive team that are also in the leadership meeting too, to make sure the translation is, is happening from that standpoint. So I, I feel that that's how we set the week off from a good standpoint of like understanding really what is urgent versus important yes. and making sure that we're prioritizing important versus now some things are all both. Um, but it's that translation. Cause a lot of times, you know, you only just know your lane. And I think that's when the silo aspects happen. Well, my silo is the most important thing because that's all I know, as opposed to the other silo over here. That's the most important thing that they know. So to have those constant translators and having it be clear on who to go to to make those calls on then where to um, spend the time is critical. Awesome. Oh, I love that. I love the the cross-collaborative meeting, having someone there to make sure that the messages accurately conveyed, right? And that we are distinguishing between the urgent and the important. Um, on that, I just always have been fascinated at people's routines or um, practices that they find helpful in this season. Uh, is there anything right now that you would say is a lifesaver, right? Uh, I ask that in general because sometimes it feels like, like you said, I'm dying on the inside or if I don't do this, I'm going to lose my mind. What in your world right now feels like a lifesaver to you? Uh, for me, it's consistently exercising. And the second that that like gets deprioritized, everyone can feel it. My family can feel it. My company can feel mm. it. Um, and so that, that's that been something critical that I just, I don't even, I, it's part of my schedule. It's like a, you know, a meeting that can't be moved or from that standpoint. And I think you as an effective manager then also need to know that about the people that you're managing. Because it's your job to also see when, you know, when they're kind of getting close to needing to have a little bit of a break. Um, so that's the other thing that I always just really stress with people of like really understanding, like, what does that person need? Yeah. Um, introvert, extrovert styles. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting pre-COVID. So now we, you know, we don't have like a set work policy. Like we have an office both in L.A., and in Minneapolis, but we don't have set days of when people are required to come in. We think everyone's an adult and will require what the window business requires. Um, and so sometimes that's just, you know, very quick notice. It's like, we need you to come in the office for this meeting and everyone is accommodating from that standpoint. But pre-COVID, I had multiple executives ask me if they could work, you know, four days in the office, one day at home. And I said, no. So I look back at that as from an example of things that I've gone through of like, oh my God, what am I talking? Like, wow, I couldn't believe I was that just given, you know, obtuse from that perspective. And both of those employees needed to have a little bit more of that thinking space time. Mm. So there's, 
my, 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 you know, what I always say is, you know, we spend so much time at work, right? It like dominates majority of our adult life. And I really feel that the most successful companies will have this way of finding like, there's always going to be things that kind of come up and we can set expectations of like what is expected or not, but we have to be accommodating for when those types of things kind of come up in life and have different things that work for different people. I firmly believe that, which I think is the beauty of a mid-sized company. Um, Now I can understand getting to the point where 200 people, you can't, don't have that flexibility, the size and scale and scope requires a different type of methodology. And I've talked about this too, of like, you know, if growth is the plan, I'm probably not the person to run the company at 200 people. There's probably, it's probably, it's a different type of skill set than someone that maybe that I, that I require. Um, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, we're always kind of learning and evolving as the business grows, which is just, it's always just fun to kind of see what, what's going to happen today. Yeah. Uh, on that same subject, I want to make an observation that I've seen and just get your input for everyone listening, but especially if there is a female business owner listening. So here's my observation. Since COVID, uh, my most requested kind of topic or keynote has been in sustainable performance, meaning how do we still have a goal and get our, you know, a a push that we are still really working hard and going for it, but how do we avoid burning out, right? And so uh, I spent a lot of time you know, really developing that and trying to learn as best I could what would work for companies. And one of the things that I talk about is a mindset shift, which comes from my sports background, which I, I tell them, hey, true athletes at a high level don't look at recovery as a luxury. They see it as a, a critical ingredient in their performance. They understand it plays a really big role in getting the results they're after. So you stress the body, then you recover the body. Right. You stress the mind, you recover the mind. And that's where you get the gains. And they start going for they start getting it. But what I've noticed is where it really seems to be difficult to fully embrace that has been more on the female side, where when I really get into the conversation, they go, I just still feel really guilty. Any any idea of like taking time or making priority to exercise because they know it puts them in a better headspace or whatever feels in their mind. Like I'm cheating somebody and it's just been an interesting, I think I have an idea, but again, I'm coming from it from my perspective. And so I just wonder if you could speak to that or do you feel that at all? Like anytime I throw any kind of recovery, they're like, yeah, but I could be doing this or that could be time somebody else takes or it's a, it's a guilt feeling. Does that, does that make sense? Yes, it does. And that is, that is ingrained in women from like systemically across the fact of the role of women um, and what we do, not only within our business, but then oh. the realities and obligations outside. Um, it is a thing. And one book that is amazing is taking this head on. It's called Fair Play by Eve Rodsky, which really looks at, you know, and die, like goes through the standpoint of like women in terms of the household doing majority of the aspect it's not 50 50 and what if the world really was 50 50 now again we're talking about two parent households one parent households have have much even more significant stress and as you're saying lack of recovery um but a lot of that is about that really examining things and how they need to be shifted and how you need to be vocal in order to like having there be a shift 
um, from, from that standpoint, because that is true. I can speak from my own experience that when, you know, when my kids were very young toddlers, like, you know, my daily exercise habit would did not happen for, I mean, it was a long time. Um, and I think that's where I kind of learned that lesson on how to do it. I needed to do it for my business. And I just think there's the reality of a startup that you just, again, it's the same thing with like, you look at coaching as an expense. There's just things that are age, like age appropriate in terms of a company age that are constant issues. Mm. There's never going to be enough time. There's never going to be enough money. No one can do anything. Everything's up against me. So, um, but I had the double whammy of having a young business and then also young kids. So I learned a lot of lessons, um, you know, in that way, but it is, it's, it's, it's systemic. And I think one of the things that I've always do when I'm talking with women is really just kind of understanding and diagnosing again, if you're the only person that can do things, if you're after, if you're operating that way in your business, I'm the only person that can do things. You probably are operating that way outside of the business too. Yeah. And so I think it's seeing commonalities on that approach and how we're doing anything. And Chris and I, you know, we're business partners, but, and we, and we, you know, we're co-parents, but there's a lot of things that are flipped. What you think most stereotypically would happen. He keep thinking, oh, these are kids. They have such a good time. And it's great because he's planning all the fun times. for them. Yeah. So he is, he is on the text exchange with the parents planning all the fun stuff. And then, um, you know, a lot of people are like, wow, like Chris is really involved with his kids. I'm like, would you say that if that would be, yeah. send, you know, <laughs> sending the text messages? Probably not. So we have a lot of still further education to do on our expectations of what we, what we are expecting from business owners and then women business owners. And are we, are we highlighting women business owners in the correct way? Or are we highlighting them only in ways that are, setting women back. Yeah. And I think that's just one thing that I can continue to do is, you know, continue to be a voice for women business owners, showing an example of, you know, the spirit and camaraderie. Uh, I have another uh, friend who's a owns an agency um, in the past year, and we started uh, really an initiative to get an accurate count of uh, women-owned businesses in the advertising industry to, to, to show that it's less than 1%, which is dismal considering uh, the purchasing power that women have in terms and in, in terms of you know the economy so um we've created this really great group of women business owners and the reaction that we consistently hear is i wish i had this sooner mm. um and i think that is the thing that we can continue to highlight that there are more women that are women are starting businesses at historic rates which is great but they're not necessarily if you look at the you like the like dig into the data they're not growing and they don't have payroll numbers that are equivalent of other businesses. So it's great that they're starting, but they're not scaling. So how do we continue to give women access to the right types of tools to help scale their business? I mean, I think like a quarter of women's businesses actually has some sort of financing, whether through a bank or through the SBA. So that's, they're not going to scale if they don't really have any apparatus around right. them that is continuing to have them grow. Um, but I think that's a huge passion point for, for me too, is, you know, continuing to see women business owners grow and scale their businesses. Heck yeah. One more time. What's the name of that book? Fair play. Fair play. Awesome. And then any other resources that you feel like would be just super helpful to point them to if there's 
uh, any women business owners listening to this? Yeah, I mean, so I'm a, uh, I belong to NABO, which is a national association of women business owners, and they have chapters in most metropolitan areas. So like I belong to Los Angeles and then also the Minnesota chapter. And that's, that's your group. That's those, those are women that are go through within challenges like you. And a lot of them, it's great because you meet people outside of your industry. I think a lot of times business organizations are very siloed Mm -hmm. into more vertical of what you're doing. Um, This is across all business. And so, and it's local. And so then you can have access to local lawyers, accountants, things that, you know, you, you know, uh, places for offsites um, and just learning. It provides a lot of learning. So that, I would say that's another um, organization that has been tremendously helpful. And I continue to guide women to. That's awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, last question. And I guess you already mentioned one, but uh, I love just to know what people are reading. I want to know what, what they're learning. So we've got fair play. Is there anything else that you're just like, I have loved this book or this perspective or this author right now that's got my brain working in some really great ways? Well, I'm a big fan of Scaling Up, which I think you have Vern on the podcast here. And that is that is a resource that I always advise to entrepreneurs to with the idea of like the system. I feel like there's a lot of free worksheets that you can kind of get from Scaling Up on their website. Mm-hmm. And again, it really is the idea of you want to scale. Okay, so it's about people, strategy, execution, cash. Those are the four things. How do you dig in and know more? You're probably an expert more in one or two, but you can't have weaknesses in the other two. So that's the other aspect. I still come back to years and years of like, okay, I, you know, focus more on like strategy focus, moving into new markets, new offerings. Have I thought about this the right way? So that's what I always kind of come back to. It's been tried and true for me. Awesome. Well, Gene, this has been a fantastic interview. Thank you for taking your time and sharing your insights and wisdom with us. I know I have learned a ton. So I really appreciate you being here. Thanks, Drew. It was fun. Awesome. We'll have to have you back. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.